0: It's a great day to live for Jesus. This is the In the Word podcast with Pastor Mike Grover, a chapter-by-chapter devotional journey through the New Testament, where we will browse the background, discover the doctrine, and practice the principles of God's Word for us today. Today in the Word, we're in Mark chapter number 6, and this is Jesus returning back to his childhood home of Nazareth. Now, he wasn't born in Nazareth, obviously. He was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. And it was about at the age of 30 when he began his public ministry that he shifted kind of his home dwelling to Capernaum. And he didn't have his own home because in one place, Jesus said, uh, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man does not have a home to lay his head. And when you're reading the account of Christ in Capernaum on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, It's mostly centered around Peter's home, and so we get a sense that Peter was from Capernaum, Jesus was from Nazareth. But here's Jesus, and he returns to Nazareth, and this passage can be paralleled in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 13 and chapter 14, but I'm going to begin reading in Mark chapter 6 and verse number 1. And it says, And when he went out from there, he came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where does this man have these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching, and he called to him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits." So as I said, here's Jesus. He's back in his hometown, and he begins to teach in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, on Saturday, which would have been the custom, and Jesus would have been seen here as um, at least a self-proclaimed rabbi. Uh, Many of the places Jesus went, it wasn't even on the Sabbath day. He could get a crowd any day of the week. He stepped into town, and the masses came to hear him. It seemed like his hometown was a little bit numb to him and they weren't as uh, excited about hearing him. Uh, I think sometimes that's why pastors end up switching churches so often, because I think when a pastor's new and he comes in and his personality's new, his circumstances are new, his jokes are new, his stories are new, and uh, his delivery's new to them. and So everyone just wants to hear him and can't get enough, but you stick around a while, like I'm in my 15th year now. It's easy for people to become complacent at the voice of the pastor uh, because they've just gotten familiar with him. Well, Jesus was actually born here, and there was a built-in familiarity already. And so it says that Jesus begins to teach there on the Sabbath day, which would have been typical. But what I want you to notice there in those first couple of verses is um, their reaction to it. So, we have Jesus' teaching, and we have their reaction first of all, it says they were astonished, and that means they were amazed now, you don't get the sense that they were amazed at his content or the- because of what he was teaching them. You almost get the sense that they're amazed that he even thinks he has the right to say some of these things to him because the familiarity you know breeds that contempt, and they're just used to him. And first of all, it says, uh, they were astonished at him. So there's amazement. And that amazement quickly turns to derision. And you see in verse 3, they say, is not this the carpenter? Now, that wasn't kind of a positive statement. That was a statement of derision because a carpenter was simply a common laborer. Now, today, when we think of a carpenter, we think of one working only with wood, In in The the word used here that's translated carpenter in that day, um, it would have been more of a broader term. It would have been a builder, uh, not just wood. They could have been building with stone and things like that, but it was a builder. And so they say of Jesus, is not this just this common builder? Now, I love this, that they are deriding Jesus and they're being critical of him. But I thought about how Jesus's choice of a profession really sanctifies the daily grind. Man, maybe you're out there and you feel like, man, I'm just a waitress, or I'm just a bookkeeper, or I'm just a a car mechanic, or maybe you're a carpenter, whatever it might be, and you look at yourself, maybe I'm just an office admin, whatever it is. I'm just a mom or a dad at home keeping watching my kids this morning. I'm just a school teacher. Well, what may seem common and uh, maybe not so um, exciting in the world's eyes Man Jesus sanctifies the common ground because when God the Son came to this earth what was his occupation he was a carpenter he just was a common tradesman taking care of the daily grind of life i love what it says in proverbs 14:23 it says in all labor there is profit man in all labor there's profit whatever your hand finds to do the bible says you do it with your might and all the way back in Genesis, God said man should earn his bread by the sweat of his brow, the sweat of his face. And so Jesus sanctifies the daily grind, man, just what we're going through every day. So they're deriding him, but I think his choice is actually elevating that position. Now they go on from that term of derision, is not this, the carpenter, to the son of Mary. Now to refer to a man as the son of the mother versus the father That was kind of derision as well. And even if by now Joseph had died, because some deduce that because he's really not mentioned in the ministry years of Jesus Christ, but even if Joseph had died, he would still be the the position of um, respect would be that he's the son of Joseph. But here he is called the son of Mary. And, And you get a hint here that maybe there's still a lingering sense of his illegitimacy like, yeah, right, he was really virgin born. And, and even some of the um, basis or theories of unbelievers about Jesus is that he was really the son of a Roman soldier and that the virgin birth narrative was just created to bring respect, respect to his background. Well, even here in his hometown, you have these seeds of kind of contempt and rejection. Uh, Isn't this the son of Mary? And then they even get more common. He's a carpenter. He's illegitimate in a sense. And then it says he's the brother. He's the brother of James, the brother of Joseph, the brother of Judah, the brother of Simon. And then it says, and are not his sisters here with us? And how can this guy be the Messiah? Because what was Jesus's common message when he went into the synagogue? He'd open up the Old Testament and he would show them the passages that showed that he was the Messiah. How could he be the Messiah? We know his brothers. He's got four brothers. He's got a couple of sisters. And by the way, that throws some people for a loop because they say Jesus had brothers and sisters. Sure, Mary was a virgin when she had Jesus, but she did not stay a virgin. Now, there is a teaching espoused by the Roman Catholic Church. that's called the Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception doesn't just teach that Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born. It teaches that she remained a virgin, the perpetual virginity of Mary. That's not a biblical teaching, because in the Bible it talks about his brothers and his sisters, and it doesn't refer to them as stepbrothers and stepsisters in that kind of language. So here they are. Here's Jesus teaching, and you see the reaction of the people. Man, there's amazement. There is derision of him there is and then it says they were offended and it says at the end of verse 3 and they were offended at him now that word translated offended is the greek word for scandal Uh, that word is scandalizo and scandalizo is the idea of seeing something in someone that makes us not want to listen to him anymore Here's what the Strong's Concordance says on the Greek word scandalizo, translated offended. It says, to be offended in one, to see in another what I disapprove of and what hinders me from acknowledging his authority, to cause one to judge unfavorably or unjustly of another. So in other words, the idea of being offended is there's something I see in him that makes me not want to listen to him. I just can't hear him I just can't listen to him and they were offended at Christ and so they built a wall up because of their opinion of him that kept them from hearing him and ultimately it kept them from what hearing God's word so Jesus begins to teach there's this response of rejection of him but then you see in verses four through seven I love it Jesus's response to their reaction What did he do? Did Jesus just take his marbles and go home? Did Jesus just kind of walk away and say, you know, too bad, suffer your consequence? No, the Bible says here in verse 4, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. So what does Jesus state? A general conclusion. That it's, not, it's typical that a prophet isn't going to be heard by the people who know him most. As I said before, familiarity breeds contempt. And in this case, it really limits the Lord and what he wanted to accomplish there. So Jesus' response is, first of all, a general conclusion. They're offended in him, but you don't get the sense that he's offended at them. You get the sense that Jesus didn't expect always to be well-received because of the message he preached. He came unto his own and his own received him not, right? And so Jesus, Mm -hmm. uh, in one place it says, Jesus didn't expect much out of man because he knew what was in man. So he gives this general conclusion, but then he makes this amazing statement in verse five. It says, he could there do no mighty work except that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And it says he marveled because of their unbelief. It says he could not do their many mighty works. Matthew 13 58 says uh, real directly, he could not do many mighty works. And it says, because of their unbelief. This is amazing to me. The idea of doing mighty works, it's the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get the word power from. Jesus could not do powerful things there because of their unbelief. How in the world do you limit omnipotence? How do you limit the powerful God? Jesus said, all powers given to me in heaven and earth. How in the world can our unbelief limit him? Man, there's a real struggle in trying to interpret this. And I think there's a few responses. One is, you know, when we limit the Lord from saving us, let's say in salvation, is when we don't ask him. If I don't ask God to save me, he's not going to save me. So in a sense, my lack of desire for him limits him. It doesn't limit his power. It doesn't limit who he is, but it limits his response. Why? Because his response is given um, in reaction to faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And so when I go into church and I'm not having a listening ear of faith, I'm probably not going to hear much out of the sermon. Man, if I go in and I have an attitude of, man, I'm this or that, I'm probably not going to see God do in me what he wants me to do. Hey, here's a big one. If I am not at the place where the word of God is spoken, then I'm certainly limiting what God may have wanted to do in me or in my family that day. Um, man, whatever it is that I build up inside me that causes me not to want the most and to get the best from the Lord and to make myself available at every opportunity, he's not going to be able to do many mighty works there. So there's the could not of unbelief because they just didn't ask him. There's another one. It's the could not of, um, let's call it of purpose. Maybe it's not that he couldn't in the sense he didn't have the power, but he wouldn't because it wasn't the right timing. You know, it's like saying an athlete cannot go out of bounds and still go down the field. Well, what do we mean by that? we It's not that he can't, he doesn't have the ability to step out of bounds, but once he steps out of bounds, you know what? The purpose is ended, the play is dead. Well, it could be as in other places where Jesus wasn't ready to fully reveal himself yet, and so God uses their unbelief for his own purposes. Well, either way, the thing is, it says because of their unbelief. Man, I don't wanna be part of whatever it is that is limiting the Lord. And so they limited him, but he still went on. Even in rejection, he still went on. It says he still laid his hands upon a few sick folk. He healed them. There was still a few that wanted him, right? Um, in verse six, it says he marveled because of their unbelief, but what did he do? He went on to the villages teaching Verse 7, he called to him the 12 and he sent them out. So he still went on. And I love this application. Even in rejection, Jesus went on. Man, people may reject us. People may get on a different path than us. People may, may not be as serious about serving the Lord as we are. But you know what we need to do? You need to still go on. Even in rejection, he still did good he still did good, he still healed people, he still preached the word, he still sent people out, he just kept keeping on, he just kept doing what he was supposed to do, that's how we responded as a church over COVID, and everything was shutting down, everything was holding back, but we just felt like the gospel has to keep going forward, and we still went on, and God blessed us, and he allowed us to see more people come to faith in Christ, and be baptized over the COVID period than in any other equal period of time in the history of our church. You see, Jesus still went on, even in rejection. Here's another thing. He preached to the masses, but he sent out the few. You think about it as a funnel. Jesus preached everywhere he went. Some of them listened more closely. He'd gather a crowd. Some of them even came into the synagogue to hear him, which would have been an even smaller group, But when it came to really pouring himself in and sending out, how many was it? Twelve. You see, he preached to the masses, but he sent out the few. Hey, in any giving month, maybe six, seven hundred different people walk through the doors of fellowship. And we preach to those masses and even wider when you think about the extent of our reach in our everyday lives. But, you know, you got that core that's there most every Sunday. And then within that core, you got those who want to get really and learn a little more and maybe jump in the mornings in the Word. And and you see what I'm saying? Don't let the lack of response of the masses limit um, your response of being one of the few. Why? Because he preached to the masses, but he sent out the few. And here's the next thing. Even the few can benefit and grow when the crowd responds in unbelief. Think about that. There was a few there that got healed. There was a few there who followed his command and went out. So, even the few can benefit and grow when the crowd responds with unbelief. So, sometimes you can look around and say, Man, no one's serving Jesus. I'm the only one. Man, I'm just going to go home. I'm just done with it. Why? It's not how Jesus and his disciples responded. Even when the crowd were not believing, even when the crowd quit listening. Man, there was still the few that continued to go on. They continued to benefit from their relationship with him. They continued to grow in their faith. You see, we have to have spiritual blinders on when it comes to what other people are doing. Though no none go with me, still I will follow. It doesn't matter if people are leaving us. It doesn't matter if people are, you know, what we may feel moving on for insignificant, petty reasons. It, it doesn't matter if people are rejecting Christ and the message in our family. You know what? The crowd didn't believe, but the few still went on. So what's the word for today? The word for today is this. Stay teachable. Remain open to the Lord in, even when it seems like no one else wants to Listen. Be sendable. So if we will remain teachable, when no one else, man, even wants to listen, God's still going to equip us. God's still going to bless us. God's still going to use us, and God's still going to send us. So be teachable today. Be sendable, and let God use you, even when everyone else seems to be rejecting His message and what He has. For Thank you for listening today to End the Word. Join us every Tuesday and Friday for new episodes as we continue our devotional journey through the New Testament.